0: get your first book for just 9.99 by using the code chirp CHIRP one more time that's bookofthemonth.com use the code chirp and get reading Hey, you guys, quick reminder, the Other People podcast is offered freely. More than 500 episodes and counting, all available free of charge. You can listen online at otherppl.com. You can listen via iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. You can stream the show on Spotify, whatever you like. There's an official Other People app. That, too, is free. Everything is offered freely. It's a listener-supported program. If you like the show and you want to support it, you can do so at patreon.com slash otherpplpod. That's patreon.com slash otherpplpod. Okay. You are not alone. You have found other people.
1: You and I have a friend in common.
0: Every stupid thing that a writer could do, I've done. I think it's really beautiful. Gee, what a struggle, you know? It was incredible. It was like your head exploded seeing what was really there...
1: And now, here's your host, Brad Listy.
0: Just one person at just one time. Hey, right, everybody, how's it right. going? Welcome to the Other People Podcast. I'm Brad Listy. I am here in Los Angeles, California, and uh, it's a Sunday episode. Can you believe it? I'm doing a Sunday show. I have Susan Henderson on the program today. She is an old pal of mine. Her new novel is called The Flicker of Old Dreams, it is available from Harper Perennial. Uh, I have known Susan Henderson for more than a decade. I was doing the math. I think we go back like 13 years, 12 or 13 years. And what's interesting or perhaps, uh, normal in a certain sense is that I had never before been in a room with Sue, but I feel like I know her. I've known her forever. She runs a literary site called litpark.com. Many of you are probably familiar with that. Uh, like Sue and I go back to like my space days, old school. And, uh, it was just so great to, to get a chance to meet her. She lives over on the other side of the country and she was out here in Los Angeles she came over we sat down we talked that is coming up momentarily I do want to share a, a brief story with you that is uh, related as many of my monologues in recent weeks seem to be to uh, the issue of sleep deprivation I don't know if you can hear it in my voice I don't know if you can detect fatigue in my voice but uh, I am sleep deprived I've been up since one forty-five this morning and interestingly uh, the culprit, the reason why I have been up since one this morning is because of, uh, Alexa, the, uh, Amazon, uh, artificial intelligence being, I don't even know what you call her. It's artificial intelligence, right? The uh, Amazon echo. Do you have one of these? Have you ever used one of these? We have a couple of these things in our house and use, uh, use them predominantly for music. Like when I ask Alexa to play music, it, it, it's so much nicer and quicker and more convenient and less of a hassle than having to go dial it up and look for something. And, you know, I, I just get sidetracked. I just ask Alexa to like play some music and she does it and it works and it's great. Am I concerned about the surveillance capabilities of a device that can hear you uh, from like 40 feet away across your house? Sure. It's a little creepy. And yet, uh, that's not enough to stop me from having one in my bedroom. <laughs> uh, God only knows what uh, Jeff Bezos is privy to. God only knows what the uh, federal government or uh, external foreign powers could be privy to, should they wish to exploit Alexa and all of the Amazon Echoes in the world. It's probably not that smart to have one. There's probably data somewhere stored some sort of vault or some sort of digital archive But uh, anyway, in addition to uh, music, I also ask Alexa to set alarms for me when I want to get up in the morning. sort of my alarm clock. So it's like you know, Alexa, uh, set an alarm for five fifteen a.m. That's what I did last night. I get up early. You guys know that. So I do that right before bed, and uh, sure enough, the alarm goes off. It wakes me up. I sit up in bed. I'm kind of startled. Alexa, off. <laughs> That's what I say. It's like it's kind of humiliating to the whole thing, the whole arrangement with artificial intelligence and Alexa. The way you're talking to it, it's—I find it humiliating. Alexa, off. And then you know, I got—I'm like really tired. I was like in a dead sleep, and uh, I felt like in my body, I was like, oh, I just want to stay in bed. I just want to stay under these covers. I'm warm. I want to go back to sleep, I feel good in here. I don't want to leave, but uh, I'm pretty disciplined. And uh, I don't know. I feel like my, my mornings are pretty regimented. I got to get the kids to school. If I want to get everything done that I want to get done, I got to get up. I got to get out of bed. If I want some peace and quiet in the morning, this is my time. So I just, I just get out of bed. I tend to just rip the band aid off. I move as quickly as I can. I get on my feet. Once that's done, that's, you know, the, the, then the hard part is over. And, uh, I, you know, I get up, I go into the bathroom, I brush my teeth. I do, you know, I do my morning ritual. I splash cold water on my face. I always do like three splashes, (laughs) which, uh, I don't know. It's not OCD. It's not like my lucky number is nine. Three is a square root of nine. I've settled on three. It seems like a normal number. If you're going to pick a number of splashes. But it's not OCD. It's not like I'm turning the uh, light off 17 times before I leave the room. I'm not touching the doorknob 26 times before I you know, I enter. It's nothing like that. I just splash my face three times in the morning. Like a normal person. So I do all of this, and then uh, I'm going to uh, meditate. Because that's also part of my like, ritualized morning. I'm a disciplined human being. It's the only time I can do it with the house quiet. And, uh, I go in and I'm like sitting down on my little cushion, like, okay, we're going to do this. It's morning. I, I like I look at my phone because that's where I use my little timer, uh, you know, to time the meditation or whatever. And I look at my phone, it's two o'clock in the morning. And, uh, I sort of sat there for a moment. Like I was confused. I was like, what? Then I realized it was dark. Like there was no dawn light like peeking in through the windows or whatever. And I was like, oh my God, it's the middle of the night. Alexa has uh, failed me. She's tricked me. For some reason, woke me up at like 1.45 in the morning. I guess she misheard me. I was like, what? Like, I couldn't figure it out. Maybe it was a time zone issue. Like, what, why did Alexa do this to me? I feel like I have trust issues with Alexa now. I can't trust her. And if you know anything about me from listening to this show, particularly in recent weeks, you know that uh, if I get up in the middle of the night, I can't, I can't fall back asleep. Like once I'm up, it's especially if I get up and I'm splashing water on my face and, you know, forget it. So I go back to bed, but I know I'm, I feel like a sense of doom. It's 2am. I'm like, okay. I get my phone out. I start looking at Twitter, you know. I closed my eyes, but I never fell back asleep. I've been up since 1.45. So I thought, uh, you know, it's now the end of the day. I'm still going somehow. I have kind of a faint headache, but I'm still going. I have trust issues with Alexa, but uh, I'm working through them. We'll have to have a conversation later, try to see if we can resolve this, you know, try to see if we can rebuild from the ashes. And uh, I thought that maybe I would try to exploit my, sleep-depri- my sleep-deprived state for a rambling monologue, do a Sunday show. We'll make something good out of it. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics in Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. So, I'm very pleased to have Sue Henderson here on the program. Her new novel, once again, is called The Flicker. Of old dreams, available now from Harper Perennial. Here she is, folks. This is Susan Henderson.
1: The thing that um, that came second. The thing that came first was um, the book started sort of bubbling up. I didn't know it was a book yet, but it was um, during the rise of the Tea Party, and in my neighborhood, you know, I, I'm like a manic walker, and I was walking, walking in these, oh my, those yellow flags with the snakes were, were going up house after house. And then this one woman was like writing
0: in your neighborhood like in, in New York on
1: Long Island, Okay, which is, it's not the same as New York city. And we're in a very, very like lower middle class working class, you know, people like appliance repairmen and, um, waitresses and stuff in my neighborhood fishermen. Sure. And so the flags were going up and I was like, really New York. And then um, there was this one house that I would pass. I would be in like a good mood, walking around, there's birds, petting dogs and stuff. And I'd pass her house. And every day she had a rant written on the back of her car window in shaving cream. And it would would just be stuff that it's like, I know she didn't care about that yesterday. She just heard that. And now she's mad about, you know, whatever
0: you know, so. well, can you remember a rant? Like how, how long, first of all, are we talking like 10 words, or are we talking like 150? We're talking
1: like three, you know, like she'd be like, um, well, like now it would be like blue lives matter or whatever. Ah, okay. you know, it would be something like that. Right. And, and then there was this truck that would always park in front of the bakery and, and it had a rant in those uh, letters you can buy that are, you know, like they're, They're black on the edges, and the letters are in gold. Okay. And it was this like entire quote from George Washington. I can't remember what it was, but it was just like on and on and on. But but it was it was a Tea Party thing. And then I was driving past our post office, and there was this giant um, like billboard of Obama's face. So this is in in the Obama years, and they had the Hitler mustache on him. And my kids were in the car, and I was just like. I know I shouldn't do this with my kids in the car, but I looked, pulled really fast into the post office, went inside, and I was just like, is this your sign? <laughs> you know, and who can I talk to and stuff? And they said, well, it's not our property. And I was like, you're okay with it touching the corner of your property. And, I, and so they told me who to call. So I, I called somebody. And later, one of my right wing neighbors Came by. She's the lady who always lets her dog poo in our yard, and she doesn't pick it up. <laughs> she, um, she came by, and she said, um, "You should be careful who you call, or or you don't want like the the police to not come to your house if you need help." So I was just kind of like, "Okay." So I became obsessed with the rage I was feeling, the rage I was seeing on these signs, and and this division with. The life I, I fight really hard for, and and what what their dreams were, and just they just didn't. What what mix. do you
0: think? What do you think? I mean, because you spent a lot mm-hmm. of time pondering this. What, what is the rage of the Tea Party? It's it's about uh, economic anxiety. Mm-hmm. It's about racism, mm-hmm. and it's about a, kind of a scarcity mindset. Yeah, like we're running out. Right. Like we're not going to have the opportunity. And and you
1: took it if you, you know. And
0: if you're brown, you, you you know, if you're trying to get into this country, you're going to take mine. Right. Right. And, you know, it's funny. I was just listening today to uh, a Terry Gross interview with a guy who was talking about global capitalism and how it's actually an issue that unites factions of the left and factions of the right, but Mm -hmm. for different reasons, Mm -hmm. you know, so like on the left, global capitalism, you know, tends to remove... Uh, some of the safeguards that would uh, you know provide some degree of um, like some guarantee of mm-hmm. uh, economic stability and like a share in the in the pie mm-hmm. um, you know i 'm thinking like post like war it right. 's like post world War two right those like f d r guarantees yeah. like you know where people and they were unionized, and, right. like, and when it starts to go global, but a sense
1: of stability or fairness,
0: stability and fairness, in a sense that like I'm going to be able to support my family if I work full time, right? You know, and that's sort right. of goes away when somebody like overseas can work for half your wage, and right, you know, and then on the right, a lot, you know, it's much. I think it's like a more uh, crude uh, nationalism, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like if you're, com- you're trying to get into this country, just like what we were talking about, you're going to take mine and. Right. uh I don't know. It's like I guess what I what I think personally yeah. when I consider all this is that as a person who uh has more sympathy with the former rather than the latter, yeah. uh, it makes me think like we really need to take care of the the poor and the vulnerable among us first. Mm-hmm. Like that is so bad. And like, I guess, I mean, frankly, like Bernie said it like the loudest and the clearest to me yeah, the yeah. last time. And he was I, the
1: clearest. That was his great gift. It reminded
0: yeah. me or, uh, yeah. it, I don't know. It just moved me. Cause I was just like, God, I just want somebody to say that. Like yeah. the first dollar we spend should go to the poor and the vulnerable.
1: Yeah.
0: And like that and on the right and the left. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? Cause I think like it's very hard. And, and this is what was in the Terry Gross interview that resonated today is that it's very hard to uh, remove all of these safeguards for uh, working class people Mm -hmm. and vulnerable populations and have them experiencing this very real economic anxiety Mm -hmm. where opportunities are going away and like their lives are ruined. Like, you know, their retirements are gone or they're going to have to work till they die or their kids can't go to college or they have like a real like visceral sense that like, you know what, we're getting a lot less yeah. than the other guys. Yeah, Like there are people that the, the disparity, right. It's very hard when those people are experiencing those things to look at them and say, by the way, we want you to be super, super tolerant on social issues and on immigration. Yeah. And like, I sort of get that. Like, I wish that they could, but mm-hmm. I, I get like emotionally, like on a human level, how someone could be like, you know, a fisherman who, or mm. somebody who worked in a factory who suddenly just effed.
1: Here's where I disagree though. When I would walk by that lady's house with a shaving cream, cause she just set me off, whatever mood I was in, then I was enraged for the rest of the walk and it was, it was driving me crazy. But I think a lot of those people, their life was actually fine. Uh-huh. They're watching, they're ingesting rage and messages that they're that
0: like Fox and right-wing radio yeah and
1: I think it just flips a switch I think um there are a lot of people who if you take enough crap in it it just kind of like gets in you and then you and then you but it's like I could see that nothing when when Obama got in nothing about her house or the things I saw in her driveway, or the way she cut her lawn, or if she did... Nothing changed. Right. The mindset changed. So I kind of think there's what you said. There, There is, you know, there there are economic things we need to address, and, and um, people want to know that if if you work hard and you play by the rules that you can get somewhere and that your children will be okay, and right. they won't drown in debt, and we have like a, just a giant propaganda machine. And I think it's making people crazy. I well, mean, it's just I, making them not think.
0: I know. Yeah. I mean, media literacy is a huge issue. Yeah. And literacy generally, not that people are, are, are illiterate necessarily, but just got People have got to get, um, get reading more. Yeah. You know, well, a, even
1: like no matter, except for PBS, there's no American news station. I know that I, our, our stations are so America centric and it's like, there's so many other things happening in the world. And it's just, you know, it's kind of amazing how limited our focus is.
0: Well, if you watch like BBC, yeah, like everyone's, because like- the thing is, is that I, I'm guilty of watching too much American media mm-hmm. where it is yeah, kind, of, kind of like America, America. And it's like this, this, I don't know, there's a very stark difference between how BBC America presents the news and mm-hmm. how like MSNBC or the major networks or yeah. CNN presents the news and right. then Um, you know, they had, they have a much more global perspective, Yeah. whereas us, it's always like about the squabbles. No, we've totally
1: lost our global perspective. Yeah. it's not good.
0: But I I guess like last point I'll make, and then Mm -hmm. I want to get back to your book is politically, I think it's smart for whoever runs, uh, on the left to do what I said, because (laughs) it's a winning message. It'll unite. Like, just like, I feel like the, the anxieties that people are experiencing out there, whether they're founded or not. If somebody will just say, "Hey, like, yeah. I, we want to start with the the people who have the least, right? Like, why is that? Like, that's that's that a winning be message." That's going so hard. I know. <laughs> I know. Uh, so anyway, this is, but to, you know, this is uh, how we got onto this topic. Is that yeah. this is what was driving the creation of your novel? Like, yeah. you were ex- walking around Long Island, mm-hmm. watching the rise of the Tea Party, mm-hmm. uh, and you started to think about what, like, people fearing. I was like just it.
1: I was just sitting with the rage and the division, and the division started to become neighbor to neighbor, family member to family member, and it made me start thinking of, I, I was kind of like, who are these people? And I was like, oh, I'll bet they're the people that live in this town that we used to always visit when I was a kid, where my dad grew up. And so that.
0: This is Winnett, Montana? Winnet Montana. Yeah.
1: So that's what um, made me go back to that town. And I just felt like, I didn't know what the story was, but I felt like something about, like, what is this I'm seeing and experiencing? What is this? And I just felt like, I'll bet you if I spent time in this town.
0: You followed your instincts. Yeah. And like that's actually, like... I don't know. It feels like an uh, an emotionally mature response, yeah. and also like an interesting but creative not response. But it's No, there's no <laughs> joy involved at all. It was a, it was just a joyless <laughs> plodding. Yeah. And and let's talk about this because mm-hmm. you did some experiential research that I think yeah. is really cool. Uh, I have always advocated for that on this show mm-hmm. and like just in conversations I've had with writers where it's like the, the work is hard enough. Mm-hmm. You might as well get out into the world and get your hands dirty a little bit and have yeah. these like actual life experiences that you then take back to the notebook or the keyboard or right. whatever. Because
1: otherwise I only have what I already thought and it's like, I couldn't figure it out. Right. So I, I went to this little town.
0: In what? 2013?
1: In, yeah. 2013, 14, one of those. Yeah. Okay.
0: But during the Obama presidency. During, yes. And you go to when at, how many people live in Winnet Montana?
1: uh not quite 180
0: okay people and And they're
1: very spread out you would think it was maybe nine
0: okay so and describe like give people like a picture of what because it's is it the montana of like the beautiful mountains no okay so
1: we're in this like just brown flat sometimes it's like a white yellow or brown flat goes on and on and on and then the town is it's dirt roads it's no streetlights, no traffic lights, no. I think there's one stop sign. And there's one restaurant. It's a diner. And What's it called? At the Cozy Corner. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they make very In good. In case pie. anybody
0: listening wants to uh, stop over and yeah. have, a, have a bite to eat.
1: Oh, there was a funny story about the Cozy Corner. So there was this um, framed um, article from like Gourmet Magazine or something on their wall. And they had been chosen as. Um, like a great American food find. And they featured their hotcakes in this article. And I was talking to the woman who owns the diner and she said that they, um, they wrote up how like they were so fluffy and you know, and she said, um, they really badgered her to get the recipe for these hotcakes and she wouldn't give it up. And I was like, would you give me the recipe? And she's like, it was Krusty's." mix. It was this crusty's mix. But their water is so weird and like fizzy that she thinks it's it was filled
0: with like petrochemicals like, or Like probably
1: sulfur. sulfur. Like it okay. smells bad and yeah. it, when you wash your hair it feels like um like somebody who like washed you in like oil or something. Okay. But that's freaky. I, but she thinks it was the weird water, but it was just like crusty. She's just like following the back of the, the box. <laughs> you know? And they and they got an article. So it was like their most famous thing that's ever happened in their in their town. So the so people, there's no reason to move to this place unless, unless I find the only people that move there are like off. They're just like a little bit off.
0: They want to live off the grid. Yeah. Or, okay. Yeah. And so. So what you're saying is I might, I might be up there in a few yeah. years. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you can actually just like move into a house. There's so many empty houses here. Just so take one. Yeah. So they're empty and they're also like they tipped and like sunk halfway into the dirt. And oh, my God. it's it's some trailer homes and some things up on cinder blocks and some some you know like small homes and then um you can't tell which ones are vacant and which ones aren't and a lot of people put tinfoil on the windows as like a heating trick
0: just to to keep it in yeah because it's got to be brutal in the winter yeah
1: Yeah. which is one of the when my editor harper collins the the copy editor the one who's like does the totally nerdy bit and um one of the things she did was there was an oxygen tank too close to a fireplace like that's the kind of thing and she's like can you move the where can you rearrange the way the room's set up, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but one of them was, she's like, D- did you mean um, saran wrap on the windows? Because then you couldn't see out. And so I showed her all these pictures of people that, th- th- the window's just covered in tinfoil. And she's like, oh, okay. Because wow. she thought I, like, mistyped.
0: You can't, like, truth is stranger than yeah. fiction.
1: <laughs> yeah, so it's, the, it's these little little houses. So this is where my dad grew up, and this is where my grandparents were, when, where we used to visit my... What um, was the
0: economy? Like agriculture, like people farming. Like the
1: economy is—it's it's like almost all unemployment right now, or underemployment. But it, it's ranching, okay? Um, cattle ranching, and um, they had a a big empty grain elevator in the town. So I was like, "What's this? What's this?" So uh-huh. that these shows questions. up in the book. Yes, it does. Yeah. Um, and it's just you know, it's like there there used to be like gas station pumps and then it was just like why bother so it's just kind of like concreted over but there's like the little remnants of it and my my grandpa so my grandpa graduated from eighth grade he wouldn't know that he'd gone so far in school but he um he was a trapper
0: what does Um, that mean it means a trapper or a chopper
1: Trapper, a, tra- it, a fur it, trapper. Yeah, so okay. um, so this town is like right. It's touching the Missouri Breaks. It's in Montana, but they're called the Missouri Breaks, and it's like the Badlands. Isn't it's that like,
0: where they didn't Marlon Brando do a movie? Yeah, about... it was
1: a really bad movie. Yeah, yeah.
0: I remember reading his. I read his biography as like when i was like 21 yeah. i don't know why it's like one of those <laughs> like grandiose things you do where i was yeah. like i'm gonna read a 1000 page biography of the greatest actor that ever lived
1: <laughs> was he the greatest
0: i don't know. <laughs> i mean that's like the, the general you know that's like the popular uh, yeah. mythos or whatever and uh it's one of the most exhausting books i've ever read
1: yeah and that Just, movie was bad and but... that, i
0: remember that movie being featuring prominently or you know there's a section of the book all about what a shit show it was. Yeah, and most of the movies that he was on were a shit show behind the scenes because of him. Yeah,
1: well, so the Missouri breaks are kind of they're kind of like the Dakota Badlands. They're um, it's just like very little grows, it's a lot of rattlesnakes. There's a lot. It's a place where a lot of people hunt. It's like really prime hunting ground, and it's just kind of like sandstone and these funny, um, almost like stone sculptures that just kind of. The wind, the wind is basically just cutting right. this, and so when you're in this town, one of the things. So I was there for a month, and you stayed um, for a full month. I stayed in the for a month in the Hunter's Lodge, and I was the only one there. And what is that?
0: Like, what is the Hunter's Lodge?
1: It's there. It, they call it the hotel. Okay, but it, it only fills up during hunting season, and there's six rooms if if they were full. But there's no TV in the room, and there's no phone in the room. Is and it creepy? It was, I would get, I, when I was inside, I wasn't scared. I was scared what was outside my door because you would just like hear things. You would hear the wind would just like crash into the side of this building and you'd hear like animals kind of pacing outside the door and you're just like, shoot, it's six o'clock, but I'm not, are I'm not going to Are there bears? Room. Is
0: this like bear country? Uh, like grizzly bears? That's the only thing that would freak me out.
1: It's more like, it's, there's a lot of rattlesnakes. It's, it's like dry stuff. Okay. Um, and everything sounds like a rattlesnake there because it's like a, these brittle, dry things. You don't like snakes? No, I don't like you snakes. You don't?
0: Okay. <laughs> I don't give a shit about a snake for some reason.
1: Okay, that's why. Because you said a snake. Rattlesnakes um, hang out in dens. Uh-huh. So there's, if you ever see a snake when you're in this town, you stop and you slowly look around because there's probably 20. And they're like on top of each other.
0: Okay, 20 snakes. I'm starting to get a little freaked out. Yeah,
1: and they're fast. And the thing that really <laughs> freaks me out about snakes is you don't know what direction they're going to go in, but they're going to go in it really fast. So you can't predict. It's but not they like... don't
0: attack unless you like step on them. That's right. my attitude. It's like unless I like accidentally step on this rattlesnake, like yeah. it's, it's going to stay away from me.
1: Right. But if you're in a town where they're just kind of where you might step, like yeah. you're trying to leave this uh, ho- hotel for the cozy corner, you might just, you might be that asshole to the snake that tries to step on it because you didn't see it. Right. Um, is that so. like, that
0: was your daily trek? Like, were you eating every meal at the cozy corner?
1: Yeah. D- my, so my hair started falling out on this trip and I don't know if it was like the, the stress. Of just living. by the
0: way, Sue, that's when you, that's when you leave. <laughs> when your hair starts falling out in clumps, that might be when you get in the rental car and drive back to the airport. No,
1: I had my brother's truck. Okay. Um, no what made me leave i did leave a little bit early um because i had a stalker of course <laughs> so this is the that's what made me leave because he would come um visit me at my um hotel room i mean it's more like a motel it's like it's like a strip everything's on the same level um with his dog and I would open the door and he would just come inside with his dog and then shut the door. So we were just, and, and then he was That's
0: everywhere. That's scarier than a, than a rattlesnake, by the way. I thought so too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I did. I left because of that. What I was almost, of, almost to the end of the trip. It was like dog.
0: Like a hunting dog. Just like dog. Just yeah. dog. Okay. Yeah. Like, like my dog? Just like a dog.
1: No, bigger than your dog. Bigger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your dog's like a sweet little. Yeah. Well, she's a puppy. <laughs> Thanks.
0: Oh, man. So you had a stalker. Yeah, so,
1: so there's no there's no cell phone reception um, for like two hours outside of this town. So no phone, no TV, no cell phone. And um, they said there was internet service, but only enough to get the wheel to spin for the whole time. So I was just like... Cut to- off. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's, I'm surprised you didn't write like a horror novel. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, this sounds like horror fiction to me.
1: Okay, so when I was there, I actually... I, I brought just... I brought books that would inspire me. Um, one about how to get in the zone, and then I wanted to just go like kill that <laughs> guy. Um, I'll tell you who he is later. But, but um, so I never got in the zone, and I actually never wrote the whole time I was there. I was stuck in this room.
0: But you got it. But this is the thing. Yeah. Did you go? You went with the intention that like I'm going to hole up here. I'm going to absorb. I'm going to write.
1: I thought I was going to write the whole first draft.
0: There. There. Because it's, I was
1: because there was nothing. That, because I had nothing but time on my hands, and I was in this like great atmospheric creepy place.
0: But you know, I, to me, it—I mean, I guess you know, hindsight's twenty-twenty. But it's like, you were in input mode. You were there to take yeah. in, yeah. Like yeah, but I didn't know that you can't do. It, I mean, maybe you can, but it seems like it would be hard to like be taking in all of that sensory yeah. experience and emotional experience yeah. and just like weird the weirdness of it, right? Not, not you know, not to bag on it, but just to say that like it's different than what you're used to, yeah. And it's also like a little unusual. Like See, this-
1: I, I wish I had thought of that because it it felt very frustrating, like a failure. And I feel like that's a lot of what the writing process is: is you feel like. I'm not doing anything. I'm not getting anywhere. I'm all failure, and a lot of times you see all those failed steps is what took you to right. publishing your book after the
0: fact, right? And but then it, you romanticize them, and you're like, "Oh, it was so good." Yeah.
1: Then for an interview, they're like, "What was your path to publication?" And you and you draw it like it was it was like some path that you walked down, but it yeah. was it was really like this kind of jarring trip. So yeah, so I was there, and uh, yeah, when I went back to New York, I had written like a little bit about the wind, <laughs> and nothing was <laughs> nothing.
0: But it, um, but it, it, you know, it was there. Like you there. had enough, uh, experience. I mean, 30 and days. And I took
1: a lot of pictures and I taped people too, They, but they didn't know it.
0: Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I feel like, you know, and when it comes to like journaling or taking stuff down, it, it could be really good to record. It mm-hmm. can be really good to write like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of words every day, recording your experience. But ultimately I would guess the most of it, uh, most of what wound up in your novel, the really good stuff sticks. Mm-hmm. Like you, you remember the really good stuff. You remember yeah. that guy coming into your room with the dog. You remember the grain elevator. You remember the cozy corner. Yeah. You remember yeah. the pancake story. You know right. what I'm saying? Like all the good stuff really sticks. And then maybe right. some little details you remember from the photos or...
1: Yeah, you're right. Because I felt it. it. Because it's a town I'd been to a lot in my childhood, but I'd never been there by myself. And it was completely different. And so, so it was just... And so I, you know, yeah, I was feeling it.
0: And Did, did your dad he grew up there and then got out mm-hmm. and then my
1: what... mom or his, my grandma made him get out. Yeah. She she, she had three boys and she's like, get out, <laughs> go do something. Yeah.
0: And so what, and he went on to become a scientist,
1: uh, director of DARPA.
0: What does that mean? I don't even know what that means.
1: Yes. Yeah, so D- DARPA is like, um, there's the, so he used to work, um, in the DOD. So, so I grew up in Arlington, Virginia. So department uh, of defense, right in the Pentagon. And then DARPA is like the the dark brain of the Pentagon. Oh wow! Um, it's where it's where it's where the internet was. Uh, that that was my dad. Your was,
0: dad actually invented the internet, and not Al Gore.
1: He was the <laughs> Al Gore was actually significant. Yeah, they couldn't have gotten the funding without that, and, Al. and the, they needed the. He kind of helped sell it. Um, Al
0: Gore, like, like they're they're places to poke you know i'm saying i'm not saying he's without fault or like there's not places to to find fault but he's a really smart guy he
1: is and all those people that said he's wooden it's like i would have loved to have a wooden smart Smart. person (laughs) doing nice things for the world
0: it's like a hyper rational boring guy with like you know who believes in science who you
1: like want to do stuff you know if if you cut your finger off accidentally and you had a kind of boring very uh, resourceful smart neighbors like you run to their house
0: it is it is sort of agonizing to think like like he really won i know in 2000 like it was like it was just so razor thin like the whole course of our history changed there yeah you gotta
1: build the time machine (laughs) i mean
0: that's one of those that's one of those like butterfly effect moments where you're like oh wow
1: yeah so my dad was the boss in i can't remember the everything at darpa is letters um so it was like some three Letters together was his um did he f-
0: serve in the military,
1: yeah he's air force
0: he was okay, yeah. and then he like that's a big job, like he was a big person in yeah. the defense department,
1: yeah, he does weapons and mass destruction,
0: okay, <laughs> so what's it like growing up with it like i mean like uh, how do you process like i guess like my attitude is like let's get rid of the nukes, yeah, Can we just get rid of them like i guess we do we need them because other people have them is there any way to d de- to de um what's the word I'm looking for? Not demilitarize, but yeah. um deproliferate. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I do. Get rid of the nukes. Yeah. Can we launch them into space? Can we just get rid of these things? Yeah.
1: So um my dad and most of the people doing this don't think those things. Um he's a mathematician. And um s- logic brain. Yeah. So some of his projects were um artificial speech and um uh, then Arpanet, he was the boss of the two guys that invented it and the, um, and he hired them in cause he had gone to school with one of them. But, um, uh, MX missile, uh, star Wars, the, like, those were a lot of my dad's things.
0: Is he like meeting presidents and stuff like that? Is he, he, like, is he in the oval office, like hanging out with like Ronald Reagan or
1: he, um, had his hands in um, four administrations: um, Carter, Reagan, Clinton, and uh, the, the other Bush, the H.W. Bush. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, but now, so he's retired now. So he, he, but he consults for NASA and some other things. But yeah. he's, but so um, DARPA is this. Uh, you know, it, people always say it's like the, the dark side, and so basically, they have a, a, a limitless budget. And what they want is people to just think of the craziest thing you could possibly think of that might not work, but they just want you to like, think towards something that's never happened. Sounds like writing
0: a first draft, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Get in the zone and invent the internet and some really crazy weapons.
1: Right. But so, but he's not really thinking like, how is this going to be used? He's thinking, um, He's thinking of, like, the the math computations and and the, you know, he's thinking on that level.
0: And he produced, like, a poet and a novelist. Yeah. Is that, I mean, do you have any other siblings? I have a brother. Is he artistic or is he more math-brained or...
1: He's a a doctor um, and he's he's more math-brained than I am. You know, it comes easier to him. He... uh, He's interesting. You know, he he gardens and he makes cabinets and he has a band and oh, sings God. and plays guitar. So he's a stuff. fucking
0: genius. Your kids, <laughs> are, geni- fishes. Your kids are geniuses yeah. too. I remember you like writing, but it's like your kids are like playing in bands. Like are they go going yeah. to Ivy League schools and stuff. They're brilliant. They're they, sort of like savants, right? Your children.
1: <laughs> I, they, I think they have incredible work ethic, both of them. Um, and they're very... They're just very interesting people. So my oldest, um, he just graduated from MIT in May, uh-huh. and now he's there for graduate school. And he's um, gonna run the world. <laughs> and he's it, it's been really interesting though because he he has um, he has a brain similar to my dad's, and um, but he's also he's also wise and sensitive and and thoughtful about things. And you, he reads literature and plays music and stuff and it was interesting as he was so he was course six at MIT which which is what they call their kind of computer science engineering kind of degree which is most people at MIT are course six and he was really good at um, anything to do with patterns or AI or um, coding or I mean, not coding cryptography like he's just really good at that kind of thing. But a lot of that stuff leads directly, you know, to the dark side. It could go, it, you're either going towards weapons or you're going towards spying. And when you go towards... It's like that
0: scene in Good Will Hunting. It, like, yeah. Where they're like courting him for a job.
1: Right. But his senior year, because he kind of went too fast through MIT, he had like all these you know, like this downtime. And his senior year, he took um, he, he was just kind of having like ethical issues with with all the things that he was really good at, um you know he could make a lot of money doing a lot of things, and he just kind of felt like not you know sick about doing like some of the stuff that you can do if you're really smart in math and so um he took a semester and he took like short story writing, yoga, um graphic something. Now I'm now I'm um, now,
0: now like now I can understand. Now we're on yeah. the same wave. <laughs> so
1: the neat thing, he had this class where um for the whole semester he had to do like the most complicated math to um make so th- think Pixar like cartoons and let's say um let's say your heroine is wearing a knitted sweater. He had to mathematically knit that sweater so that um it you kind of see the body underneath and it kind of moves and it's got like little pills and you can see the the weave and and it was just like a, a mathematical mind fuck but then when you get to the end instead of making a bomb, you made a cartoon sweater and he loved it he huh. loved it
0: it is you know it brings up an interesting point not just mm-hmm. for your son but for all of us and i've been I'm like in the process of interviewing for jobs right now mm-hmm. trying to decide what like To do next yeah and it's like man i want to do something with my life or at least like with like my day job Mm -hmm. that makes a positive contribution and like reflects my values sounds corny but it's true it's like very easy to get in this in the service of trying to pay bills or whatever or build a career you can wind up doing things where it's like was that yeah. net positive for humanity, right. what I just did. Do I
1: feel good coming home after having done that? What's the, or, yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and
0: like, it can get tricky because I've heard a lecture about this very topic and I've heard, I've actually, I've heard of lectures about, like multiple lectures about this topic that resonated with me. One was that like, you know, uh, somebody who works in, let's say defense mm-hmm. or um, works for Northrop Grumman or whatever it is, you know, and they are <clears throat> making weapons. You want to have people like if you suddenly have a conscience calling or something and you decide mm-hmm. like, I can't do this. I'm going to go do watercolors. Yeah. Somebody else is going to take your job. Right. They'll be happy to take that job. Right. They won't be as awake about it as you are.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So it's like not quite so simple of just like quit your job and leave. Right. What we need and And then like, it's like cops, like who might be like, wow, you know, like I'm carrying a gun around and that, but we need like, we need like mindful cops.
1: Right. Right. Uh, people need, who know how to deescalate.
0: Yeah. People who know yeah. how to deescalate people who know how to like take care of their emotions and right. make sure that when they get into like really heated situations, mm-hmm. they can take a breath right. and like read the situation emotionally and right. not like be And over... people
1: who feel an investment to the community that they're yeah. serving. Yeah. yeah.
0: So it's like, I don't know. Like I think about that, um, both personally and then more broadly. It's a big issue. Mm -hmm. And I think it's tied to some of the things we were discussing earlier, like global capitalism, uh, like how the whole machine works, how we all get by and survive, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, These things have an impact. It's all very much interrelated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of times it can be very easy when you're fighting to get uh, bills paid Yeah. To just be looking only at like one inch in front of you. Right. It's natural, but it's like. Right. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin. Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. To your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. I, I have to I,
1: I have to add in my other kid because we both have two kids. And oh, it's right. like if <laughs> you only talk about one, it's like not <laughs>
0: Tell me about your other genius, Sue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: So so he is um there your part and he went to a music conservatory for jazz guitar.
0: Oh my
1: god. And then after the first semester and he's Brilliant guitarist. He's just a brilliant guitarist. How, how much
0: fun is it as a parent to watch your kid just shred on the guitar?
1: It's pretty cool. <laughs> and <laughs> and also, he likes, he likes to um, improvise, you know, like jazz. Yeah. So it's neat to... And he, when he was in high school, he would play... He loved, like, if, if there's, like, some uh, 70-year-old man who plays a trumpet, you know, it's like that's what he was listening to, and it was just really adorable, because you... You think you're going to have kids that like listen to heavy metal or something and you you and and then he just like likes this like old
0: I'm such a fan of improvisational music. Yeah. I love jazz. I love that about it. I love mm-hmm. like I mean I I the thing is I don't really love a lot of jam bands, but I'm a huge Grateful Dead fan. There's it's very jazz like. Yeah. Um yeah. when it works and it doesn't always, especially yeah. with them because they were so like, well, it's me because it's a
1: relationship with all your other musicians and, so with the it, audience. It, and you can all like crash together. Too. Yeah. You can yeah. all
0: crash. So it's like, that was part of what was so exciting about seeing that live. And like, it's like, you didn't know if it was going to work. Yeah. Like a lot of bands are like so good and professional and practice. Mm-hmm. Like you go to a Radiohead show, like it's going to work. Yeah. Like they know what they're doing. These right. guys are like very, very they're pros. Yeah.
1: Right. There's it, also like pre-planned improvisation. That...
0: <laughs> yeah, but like when it's really just like let's yeah. see, let's go. No, it's I, cool. I, I find that very thrilling.
1: Yeah. So he, so he, you know, is this like genius guitar? Yeah, I can see he's genius because he's my kid. Um, all our kids are genius. But he, um, he, he went for a semester, and he came back, and he just looked. He was home for Christmas, and he looked like he needed a blood transfusion. He just looked like shit. And this is my my social kind of Zen kid, you know, yeah, he, he's yeah. usually pretty, pretty even. And so it was like four days for him to go back. And I was like, are you all right? And then he just, that was, you it. know, yeah. And he, he said it was so lonely. He was like, we just go in this like rehearsal room. We, you sign out a rehearsal room and you go in there by yourself for like six hours. You just play till your hands hurt. And, and then he was like, between that and auditioning, that's gonna be my whole life. And he was just like that's auditioning not Auditioning for what? For like each new job. Like let's say you're a session musician or oh, something. Right, and you're right. just like and he was just like and, and he was he was doing really well and he was like, I can stick it out and I was just like no. And he's just like, I'm sorry, I didn't wanna whatever and I was like <laughs> of of all the things you can just like remove off of your worry list is is that, you know, I'm somehow um disappointed in you or that right. you know, or that I want to direct where you go in life. So he was like, "Can I show you what I do during my free time there?" Which he didn't really even have free time.
0: He's and, like, "I I actually design weapons in my yeah. free time." I'm tired of this guitar. <laughs> he,
1: he wrote three screenplays and then he did like a bunch of these like comic uh storyboards and stuff and I was like, "Okay." So he ended up going to film school. So now they're both in Boston. He's at Emerson and he's taking film, and he doesn't know if he wants to be a cinematographer or a director or something, but he's definitely, like, he's just...
0: And he can write the score.
1: He's so happy. Yeah. Well, he started playing guitar again for pleasure. He hadn't for a long time, and he just... He now... Like, now he doesn't have to play the kind of guitar... You would still think he was really great, but you don't have to pl- practice six hours a day for what, what he plays now.
0: That can take the fun out of it. Yeah. You know? Like, enforced yeah. forced practice and being in, like, a room. I, mm-hmm. I get it. I get it. Especially for somebody who is... It's like a child and just is like finding joy in playing. Yeah. And yeah. all of a sudden it like gets serious and confined mm-hmm. and you're like, is this it? Yeah. I get it. Uh, but I'm glad he found. Yeah. Like, he loves
1: know? it. He loves watching movies, talking about movies, you know, bad mouthing movie. You, the he'll whole probably thing. wind up but, out oh. here. <laughs> he probably will.
0: <laughs> you know, and he he'll probably do will. Like all, all these skills, like imagine yeah. being, I feel like that's like a, a very good gift to have the ability to play an instrument. Like at a high level of proficiency.
1: Yeah, I envy that. I do too. And
0: I to to be honest with you, I envy having like a, a really high functioning, sophisticated math brain. Mm-hmm. Just as like a, an oddity, like what what would that be like?
1: I, there's a burden to it. There
0: is. Mm-hmm. What is it?
1: Um.
0: By the way, everybody listening to this right now has absolutely no context <laughs> for what you're about to say.
1: Um, <laughs> headaches. Uh, uh, almost like a, um.
0: It's a lot to and carry in obsessive like,
1: it. If you don't get it out or use it, it's like it hurts. You. you right. It's like you you um, load up with like clutter of ideas or patterns or something, and and then the the, the real burden. And, and you know, one of the, you know, as a parent, you're always just like, oh fuck, I thought I was gonna be the the great parent, I didn't. You know, hurt anyone and they wouldn't have to go to therapy or whatever. Right, right. Um, and, Fingers and, crossed. Yeah, <laughs> and, and then damn it, you're human, you know, and you yeah. just. So part of when you have. You're sort of. You think differently than the kids in school. You're that different kid. I mean. Yeah. Um, you're. It's lonely. Uh, it's hard socially. It's hard because a lot of times you get pulled out of class. Um, a lot of times you just kind of don't relate on the same level. The things you want to talk about that really please you and interest you. Uh, kids would just say, oh, you're so smart. But he didn't want anyone to tell him he was smart. He wanted to actually like, talk about things. Yeah, you know?
0: I, I can. I mean, I sort of get that. Um, not, I mean, I get it. I totally understand what you're saying. I don't mm-hmm. get it as like a person with math yeah. brain, but like. I don't know. Like I, I think that's part of the reason why I do this show is that conversations like this, like, like weird, mm-hmm. esoteric, literary, meandering, they don't happen that often for me in my life. Yeah. And so like just that basic anxiety of being like, no, no, I really want to talk about this. Yeah especially when it's like small talk at a party and
1: right, I'm just like,
0: like let's actually have a conversation. Like what's going on with you? And right. people will be like, what's your fucking problem? Well, with?
1: well the neighborhood I live in where, you know, it's like appliance for permanent waitresses and yeah. they're all fine, but almost no one I've met in, in my town reads. Huh. Um, they haven't read since high school and they even didn't really read the, the book in high school. Right. And so the things that I want to talk about just seem just kind of dumb to them or, you know, like, the conversation just ends immediately, and so i, I think it, whenever whenever you see your kid different um and you see that um you know they they don't find that their their tribe, their peer group, the people that just make them feel good, and it's easy right and um. You know, it's like he he would get pulled out of class, and he'd have to take a a class down at the college, and then you come back and you miss some period because they they only let you miss the the periods that don't matter as much as you can't skip English class to go there. So you're going to skip the one where, where people
0: are actually like having fun and hanging out. Yeah, or... where
1: they're kind of hanging out and you make your friends. Right. So um you know, it's a it's a it's a pro and a con. He, you know, it's he, hard to
0: be a genius. Yeah. It's hard. And, yeah. you know? But he's going to have, he's going to have it, uh, good, you know, in the long run, Yeah. I think. Yeah. And, uh, we need people like him. We need really smart people in this country. Yeah. Like, I think that's like what occurs to me now more than ever. Like I was watching, like the other day I tweeted something. You just about, actually
1: just don't need dicks. I just feel like the, we just have like stupid people on dicks right now. I want, you know? yeah,
0: I want like more kindness, mm-hmm. but I also like, I want, we, we, we need, we have big problems to yeah. solve that yeah. feel overwhelming to me sometimes. i mean, right. like, I have no idea how to get this plastic island that's like the size of Texas out of the Pacific Ocean. But like, right. I want that thing out of there. Right. It's like... Uh, like and land, instead like,
1: they're probably thinking of like how to make another one. I'm so
0: yeah. can... <laughs> just like, get it out. It's like Lance to boil. Like how do we, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it's like, it really bothers me to like think about that. Mm-hmm. It makes me like deeply sad and like anxious. Yeah. I don't know how to do that. Yeah. Someone's going to figure it. Some, some kids like your son is going to figure that out. How to like airlift it or dissolve it or I don't even know. Right. Um, so your book, you, you know, you sort of, we've taken like a long path to, to, uh, talking about how it came to be. Mm -hmm. And part of it was, um, you know, what was going on in the country back Mm -hmm. at the initial stages of its conception. And then the other thing, the big thing I think is like this theme of death and whether it's like, you know, literal death, like the human body passing away or whatever, or it's, the death of a way of life, Mm -hmm. you know, it's working on multiple levels. Right. So you have a main character who's a mortician who's confronting her neighbors Mm -hmm. with whom, uh, there was not a lot of rapport. Right. Right. In, in life, but in death, she treats them with great kindness and dignity. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's an interesting character to address this theme. What a perfect person to address this theme of, (laughs) you know, um, time passing, uh, things coming and going, which is yeah. the nature of things right, and like it's god i it makes me think of uh I was having an, uh, not, not like an argument, but I have a friend who's really smart and with whom I had often discussed things political in my youth, who has taken like this really laissez fair approach to the the situation that we're living in now, mm-hmm. which is defensible yeah doesn't watch the news like yeah. as a rule like, i don't watch the news right, I don't read about it like this like strict media diet right
1: and they're doing like, sweden <laughs> yeah like,
0: i'm just i'm just doing yoga yeah. and i'm you know like i'm focused on i'm out in nature you know like just kind of like just pretending it's not happening almost right right and i'm like <clears throat> okay because i'm the i'm sort of the opposite i'm every step of this thing i've yeah. been watching and i feel like i guess both are defensible yeah but There's also a part of me that's like, if, if really smart people turn away,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. isn't that sort of seeding the field? and he's also yeah. like really confident that like things are going to be okay yeah he's like this is just a phase in history this is a bump
1: right i'm starting to lose that confidence and i'm like yeah. i'm like
0: really like like what about like the indigenous people of tibet what about the native americans yeah like the good guys don't always win mm-hmm. and like not that the tibetans are the native americans and native americans is an umbrella term there are different you know tribes and everything that yeah. they weren't all exactly the same but like there's a big part of me that sort of feels like the Native American, the indigenous people in this country got, well, I know they got <sighs> fucked over. Yeah. But I also feel like they were wiser than the people who, they were smarter, mm-hmm. you know, in so many ways, like in terms of their relationship to the land. And I don't know, I, we could we could pick that one apart for a long time. Yeah. But I, I guess what I'm getting at is that uh, when it comes to things coming and going, it's been on my mind uh, and I've been thinking to myself like, Sometimes, uh, the bad guys win. (laughs) Yeah. It's scary to think about. And I think that maybe the people in your neighborhood or people all across the country, Mm -hmm. that's sort of like what everybody's feeling, whether it's misguided or it's accurate. Right. They feel like the bad guys are going to win. My way of life is going to go away. Yeah. Things are going to be screwed up.
1: Well, so that's kind of where I was when I, when I got back to New York and with no words written yeah except some, for like
0: a beautiful poem about the wind yes
1: <laughs> at some point it it kind of came out of trying to explain to my friends on long island who were like what there's no mall you know right, right. <laughs> there's a, you can't get the cozy what yeah um it was in trying to talk to them and then showing people pictures and kind of looking at the pictures again now that i'm 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 back you know (laughs) in civilization um it was a sense that oh i was watching a death i was watching and you know it's like the rage against the dying of the light thing it's like the, the dust's gonna win dust's gonna win yeah um and yet um there was this kind of pride and and uh you know we'll fight this and stuff and so somewhere from there i started brainstorming like okay
0: god that's so sad yeah that like it's almost like a denial but it's also like what else are you gonna do just well i also i
1: also think you know rage feels better than grief you know, racial. feels. it's a lazy, feels, it's, it's, a feels lazy strong. it's
0: a lazy form of grief.
1: Yeah. But it feels like, it feels like you're strong, like, yeah. a, like a, this isn't going to win or something versus saying, ah, oh, this is happening. I'm sad. Know? Yeah. So I thought, okay, if I write about, let's, if I write about the death of a town, who should tell it? So it just kind of like brainstormed a bunch of things. And then at some point I was like, oh my God, what if someone from a funeral home told this story then it's like the death of small town America is told by a mortician and I and then I was like okay now now I know is and that then, when
0: it clicked like when did you feel like yes had okay
1: it? so I want to just like get rid of the myth like like I I got that idea in any kind of hurry and then I just like wrote it I wrote for a long time lost
0: dozens and dozens of pages
1: no Hundreds? I wrote like, I wrote like <laughs> for three years. Wow. I, for three years, I wrote 54 chapters and it didn't work. And then I tried to fix it and it didn't work. And then I had a friend look at it, see if he can help me see how to fix it. And then that didn't work. So then I threw the 54 chapters away. The process is always like way messier and, and more failure ridden than it. And then, um, so I was just like, one, I'm not gonna be writing this book, fuck. All that time I wasted and, and I'm stupid. And then and then I thought maybe I just won't ever write just anything because it So it, you
0: had real dark nights of the soul where you were like, This is not gonna Oh happen. yeah, yeah. Why did you keep going?
1: I didn't mean to <laughs> I went on a trip. Okay. And the town was just kind of like chewing at me, and then we started into the what, primary what
0: what win it or, or yeah,
1: this town that I visited was just like
0: but you went on a trip to someplace else
1: yeah, oh yeah, yeah i went I went I went to visit my brother and um
0: in Montana yeah, yeah. he lives in a different town.
1: he lives in civilization he okay. lives in missoula okay so um he he's the team doctor for the the Lady Grizz basketball oh, team okay so um and the the town was just like. You, it was kind of like, okay, you didn't tell the story right, but you need to write about that town. And I was like, I knew that town so well. And then what really like happened was we moved into the presidential primary season where whatever I had felt about that initial spark with the tea party and that lady with the shaving cream, it just kind of got like way ramped up. Yeah. And so then I went back and looked at those pictures again. So when I said I went home and I looked at the pictures, I meant, okay, three years later after I just totally fucked up, then I looked at the pictures again and then it was like, okay, that was death. And then I got the mortician idea. And then I was so like, unnerved by the primary season in, in the, the Trump Hillary, which was, season. which was
0: like really like the, uh, it was like the, it was like, cause I feel like the tea party, the anxieties that were animating the tea party were exploited by the GOP mm-hmm. prior to Trump. Yeah. But like Trump did it on steroids. Yeah. Like that was where he just like went for it. Right, and he and,
1: and he just like went like, hey, why don't I harness the racism just outright? and say it and say it. Like that's <laughs> yeah. the thing. He was ex- like, like yeah.
0: the, the, I feel like all of the darknesses that were sort of subsurface and animating a lot of what was happening there. Right. Were uh, implicit, and he made them explicit. Exactly. And that was and the sad thing was
1: finding out how many people were okay with that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And felt like like uh, not only okay with it, but like felt like uh, liberated and like, yes. Giddy it, with it. Yeah. Yeah. Giddy.
1: yeah. It was weird. It was weird. And so, how do we put so the genie when, back w- in the box? I know. I, <laughs> or
0: yeah. back in the bottle or whatever. You
1: know? So my husband grew up in England. He, he, he doesn't think this is good. He, he thinks we're in the, you know, fall of Rome kind of times. There's, he, he, th- he thinks, well, he's very cynical about stuff. And I'm sort of, I'm hopeful by nature, but I'm kind of losing, I'm kind of losing it so when when i um when all this stuff came together and i got my mortician idea then i wrote the book in probably like five or six months which has never happened before so i'll just say that it took me five or six months to write this book
0: but it took yeah (laughs) such a lovely story i was in the zone i don't know what to tell you (laughs) yes it's a delightful place to be for five straight months it was all joy (laughs) no but that happened to me uh on attention deficit disorder my novel i uh I've, which
1: is bright.
0: Uh, it was, I was a young it's a young person's novel it but is I uh I struggled, struggled I wrote like terrible versions like mm-hmm. really truly uh, that are light years different than what the final version was but the final version I wrote in like five months yeah and you tell people that and they go oh my god and yeah, then you're I like you, you don't have any <laughs> <laughs> it's a total disaster yeah for most of the time but you have to go through that stuff and I guess like it's instructive. So like the next time you write a book, when you hit these moments, you have a little bit more confidence that you're going to see it through. And then... I'm
1: way more patient. Once you realize that you can make chaos and failure and stuff, and at some point, you, you went from a blank page to being like lost mm. to you have a book. At some point, you just start saying, "Okay, I can do it," and I I might be surprised by how I get there or what I actually end up with at the end. But I'm definitely more, I'm not patient by nature, but I'm definitely more patient with the, the messy process of writing
0: and just like, okay, I'm freaking out now. Let's just let this pass. Yeah. Give, like give it some time. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to go live in the middle of nowhere for 30 days. And well, the other,
1: I, I have a few tricks. So another trick that I like is, um, if I say I'm working on the book every day, it doesn't mean I'm writing. Like, a lot of people are like, I have to write, you know, 500 words a day or whatever. A lot of times I don't write for months, not not a word. A lot of times I'm, like, just circling the material. So with this book, there was a time I was just, like, watching movies that had snow in it. Um, I would go to calf taggings and um, just kind of, like, just breathing in the, the some of the touchstones. It was like, I, I didn't really know what the story was all the time, but it's like, I knew I just love. The stories in set in Blizzard, so it's just like, I'm just going to put Blizzard in, because I can. It's yeah. my book.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know? I can put and, a Blizzard anywhere I want.
1: Yeah, and it, and it's like, okay, I know it's in rural stuff, so I'm just going to do stuff, or am I, I might go to a diner and just kind of, like, eavesdrop and just, like, eat really slowly and drink a few cups of coffee, and I call that writing time.
0: That is, Yeah. It is. Like, you have to, um, especially if you're writing outside of, like, your own context, mm-hmm. you have to absorb, and you have to go, or, like... I don't know how people do it where it's like, yeah, I wrote a, uh, you know, a novel set in Egypt. I never went mm-hmm. just watched some YouTube videos yeah. like, or maybe I just like want excuses to go travel and, you know, do financially reckless things. But it's like, I feel like you sort of have to, I, I don't know how you could possibly write a place to the best of your ability, having never set foot on the ground there.
1: Yeah. Cause it takes a while you it, you have to like turn the rocks over and see what's like crawling under the rock and you uh, you have to like, what do people keep in their pockets in this place? You, know, you yeah. just have to kind of get intimate with the material. And so, um, I call it writing time.
0: I think that's a good rule.
1: Yeah. So I'm really far into my new book and I've written zero words, but I feel like, <laughs> like you know. Wow.
0: Yeah. So like, how many, how long have you been, like the, the next one after this? Yeah. How long you've been working?
1: Um, probably like nine months, but I haven't written a word yet.
0: Okay. Yeah. Any poems about wind? Nothing. No. <laughs> um,
1: but it's. But I. I'm feeling it. I'm just getting closer. But I. I just find like.
0: Do you have a sense? Can you like give me like a broad sense of it?
1: Yeah. So I live in this town um, called Kings Park, and the whole town was um, centered around this um, insane asylum and it housed 10,000 people and not this one but the in our in like two towns over On Long in, Island. yeah pilgrim uh that's where the lobotomy was invented and, and shock therapy so it's a proud legacy yeah yeah <laughs> so so the whole place is abandoned and um my teenagers and like all the teenagers all they do is they break into this place so it's this huge looming monstrous building
0: 10,000 people.
1: Yeah. And all the doors are bolted shut now. Every single window is broken. There's like vines growing over it and there's like 10 million ways in. And so the kids are just my kids even made an apartment in one of the things like they brought they brought furniture in and stuff. Wow. Um they swept all the raccoon poo into the back corner so right. that they had like a clean space. So um I know my book is in there. I know my book is going to be set in this, and I'm I'm actually more interested in the in the now of the building with the kids. Um,
0: there's no hauntings, no reports of ghosts. Is there any? I mean, uh, there's all of that. So like, all it, that.
1: it's it's like a big target for those you know those people with their like little equipment, yeah. So um, and you know it's just asbestos in there, and there's like a lot of the like the old machines are in there, and and the old bathtubs and stuff. So <sighs> so part of what I do is I just like break in all the time.
0: You can, anybody can just sort of wander into this place. Yeah.
1: Wow. Yeah. There's certain, like all the locals know, like don't go in there cause you'll fall through the floor or stuff. So you start to learn. But, um, so I, I circle it, I physically circle it and I take pictures of it and, um, I've watched it through all the seasons very closely and realize I am very interested in the season when like all the poison ivy turns bright yellow and red and, um, so I know my stories in there and then I'm starting to get to know, um, some people that used to work there and some people that used to be patients there, or they had a family member who was a when patient. When
0: did it go? When did it shut down? In 96. Oh, in 96. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's so, like, I mean, you know, and it's been functional in our lifetimes. It's mm-hmm. not like some ancient place. Right. And, uh.
1: It's kind of lived through all the, you know, the, like the history timeline of psychiatry.
0: Is there in addition to people that you're interviewing? is there a literature about this place? Like, is yeah. it was it been written about? I, I would imagine like in the community, if all, everyone's teenage kids are like, you yeah. know, like, there's,
1: there's this guy that I've made like really close friends with. His name is Leo Ostabo. And he's like this cranky uh, guy. He's like 80. I love him. And I love cranky people. <laughs> <laughs> and he You've has, come to the right place. he has something called the Kings Park Heritage Museum. And it's basically like, If you were hoarding, it's kind of like you went to a garage sale and there was just like random stuff from this town and the hospital and stuff. And he collects it and he talked the middle school into, um, using like seven rooms in the school and putting so it's kind of like a, a seven room like a museum yeah like um garage sale but he's not selling anything and i just go and i hang out and i just talk with him i was gonna say
0: he's like the perfect resource he's for amazing and i <laughs>
1: and i have him on tape and stuff and and i just i visit him all the time and i'm just kind of like so so back to what you said before you thought it was like you're in input mode and because I experienced that first time as a failure, but it's like, now it's like, now I'm totally okay being in input mode.
0: Did you do that with Up From The Blue? Did you have like an input mode time there too? Like any kind I of big... think
1: I did, although that one was like much more memoir. So um, okay. it, that was the story I needed to write. To get it
0: to, to get over yourself, yeah. Like, yeah, because
1: all the other stories were behind that one. I couldn't get to any other story until I just like got that one done. Like, that was the one that like, helped me sleep at night I and understand stuff. That. It was like getting it out.
0: I'm working um, on a book like that that's just like taking me forever, yeah. I don't know if I'll ever get it, but I'm trying, okay, yeah. But it's like I got, gotta write it.
1: If you need uh, eyes on it, let me know,
0: okay. I don't know. Be careful what you wish for. <laughs>
1: I no. I am very careful what I offer. Yeah. I never offer something that I am hoping someone doesn't take me up on. So I, it's two
0: hundred eighty-five thousand words. Huh? I'm just kidding.
1: <laughs> yeah, never mind. I just e- I just emailed
0: it to you. <laughs> Get back to me within the week. Yes. Um, and so you're out in Los Angeles. You're doing some events. You're doing mm-hmm. festivals. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're gathering intel for the next book. Yeah. Do you have, like? Uh, do you set goals? Like, are you like, I got to get this next book done by X or do you, no. you got to let it, no. let it play Cause out? Cause I'll
1: just fail the goal. Right. Yeah.
0: So just, and, but in, it sounds too, Sue, so like you, 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 like it's going to take you two, three, four, five years to write mm-hmm. the next book. Yeah. Like that's just the way it goes. I think
1: and, I'm just like a five-year person. I
0: think you have to let yourself be who you are a little bit there. Like yeah. if you try to force some sort of timeline on yourself that is not, it's just not happening. Like, there are some writers who did yeah. crank out two books a year. Or well, and
1: honestly, the, the publishing part's not really very fun. You know, it's, it's not like you want to race to the, you know, to, to be an unknown person. And it's way more fun, like, being a hermit. And in, in, I'm in my garage, too, when I write. Yeah. My garage doesn't look like this. <laughs> so it's way more fun being the hermit writer than someone suddenly giving the introvert a microphone and, and telling you to, like... Tell everybody about your book and right, stuff, so right. so I'm not in a hurry especially when for it's, that. especially
0: when you're deep into it that's yeah, the best part, yeah, yeah, where you like you know the terrain, you know your characters. the best
1: part is when you kind of find when you know where the story is and you and and then you can just kind of like that then it doesn't feel like you're in chaos like well, you're I wish lost. you
0: I wish you well on the next book. I wish you another five to six month period where you just it just shoots out of you, yeah after five to six years of <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. experiential research, staying, that's the in, best we can hope staying for. in weird <laughs> motels and wandering aimlessly through an abandoned insane asylum. Yes. It's so nice to meet you in person. Thank, Thank you for coming you. over and uh, congratulations on the new book.
1: Thanks so much.
0: Okay. That's Susan Henderson. Her new novel is called the flicker of old dreams available from Harper Perennial. Her first book, her debut novel is called up from the blue. That, that too is out there, I believe, also from Harper Perennial. You can find Sue online at litpark.com. She's on Twitter, at litpark. You can find her on Facebook, litpark.com. The flicker of old dreams. Go get your copy. Susan Henderson. Great to have her on the show. If you would like to write to me, the address is letters at otherppl.com. If you would like to support the show, it is patreon.com slash pod. Don't forget about the app. It's free. Go get the Other People app. It's a good way to listen. And, uh, what else? Thanks to Kill Rockstars and the band Stereo Total for the theme song music. Thanks to the band Cigarette Royalty for the interstitial music. The music you're listening to right now. I gotta go to to an event tonight, too. I forgot to mention that. Been up since 145. Exhausted. Now I've gotta go to, like, a... Cinco de Mayo party. Got to like eat tacos and be social. I'm gonna be a mess. <laughs> but you know, like I just—you're just, just gonna—I just gotta be a big boy. I gotta power through it. I can do this. Just have a margarita, have a taco, be nice. People think you're medicated, but you just let them think that. They don't realize. Maybe I'll tell people about my Alexa experience. Maybe others have had a similar experience, and we can share and find in each other a source of uh, moral support. It sucks when you can't trust your artificial intelligence. It's a fucked up world. I don't know where to turn anymore. (laughs) Alexa, off. Alexa, listen to me hear my call. I just want to sleep. It's all I want. I just want to sleep. Hey, Alexa, can you please just...